Have you made an honest review? Jump onto fifthwrist.com and read real takes by real owners about their watches. And of course, get involved and write about what's on your wrist. Fifthwrist.com is your independent space to talk watches. Welcome to episode two of Driving Time. I'm one of your two hosts, Tom, at Tiny Wrist Tom on Instagram. And joining me today as co-host is T-San at T-San Crew on Instagram. How are you, T-San? Hey, Tom. Good, thank you. Good to see you for the second time tonight. Yeah, we had some uh, internet difficulties in my end, which has stuffed our previous recording. But joining us as a special guest today is uh, Anthony at Defining Time on Instagram. How are you, Anthony? Very good. I'm I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me onto the podcast. It's uh it's a it's a real honor and and pleasure to be here. So thank you. No very worries. exciting to have you, Anthony. Even though we can't see you anymore, um, can't see that magnificent moustache that you're you're working on for Movember. <laughs> yes, it's a beautiful moustache. I was just saying the first time around that um I would join you in the moustache for. November if I could actually grow one which I really can't being half Asian but um, I have actually signed up to do an event called the Distinguished Gentleman's Drive uh, which is a global event being run on the 26th of September uh, in aid of the same I think it's the same as Movember which is uh, prostate cancer and men's mental health. Um, my dad had prostate cancer about 10 years before he died so that's important to me but probably more important to me is men's mental health and and uh guys being able to ask for help when they when they need it or when they feel they might need it not to be too proud to always reach out to friends or family or even acquaintances and um uh, i think this forum fifth wrist radio is yet another opportunity to reach out to people if you need a hand sometimes it's good to speak to someone um that maybe you're not too close with um but I, for one, as part of the community, am, am always here to, to listen or help if anyone needs anything. Yeah, definitely. Good call. And I think I said before um, that, you know, something I've, I've, I've never been, I've always been able to ask for help. And I think it's, it's definitely something that's got me through, you know, difficult times. And before we, we got cut off that, you know, the, the suicide numbers that we have here in Australia, particularly around men, it just doesn't need to be that way. So speak up if you need some help there's lots of people that will that will be there for you even if it's just an ear to listen to so yeah yep good good topic too sam good start to the podcast before we have any more issues i think we should probably move on to wrist check and drink check if we start with you anthony we'll do this again certainly certainly so drinking i'm now halfway through a, uh, a nice 15 year old glenfiddich single malt which um i've nearly finished the bottle so i'm about to go Probably buy a, an Oban, 14-year-old, I think. I haven't had a, a bottle of Oban for a while. So I've also, I'm also sporting a very manly Coke No Sugar and some water as well. So triple wielding. The thing that's really sad is we've lost the uh, beautiful crack of that Coke. It's very I satisfying. Know, I know, I <laughs> know. I know. Never mind. Can't do it twice. And on the wrist is uh, my Oxen Junior which has just made it back safely from Switzerland after having a bit of a makeover. Um, I changed my dial from the sort of 
grey, almost crayon-like um, texture to the beautiful blue patina with a blue patina seconds hand and uh, white, the, the hour hand and minute hand are white with the white markers that are loomed as well. So it's uh, been been super comfortable on the wrist this week and I've been struggling to take it off. Although I did I did take uh, put on my, uh, my fifth wrist birthday present, G-Shock, the jellyfish today, the, the Cassio, and uh, wore that for most of the day, which was a lot of fun. So thank you to all those involved. Well, I think the ox looks fantastic, uh, Anthony. Thank you. So it looks like a new watch to me. Yeah. They may make another appearance later on in the show. We will see. Yeah, that, that'll be interesting. And what are you wearing, Tom? I am wearing my Stover Flieger 36, which I bought thanks to Anthony due to his recommendation of one on the on one of his podcasts but we might touch on that a bit later and i'm drinking a um rob from geneva blue recipe butt crack uh, which is um some black spiced rum some butterscotch snaps and some coke uh and there's also a geneva blue strap on the stover and i'm drinking out of it out of a 24 hours of lama uh, porsche 919 um Beer cup, which I got when I was over there in 2018. So 2018 was 2018 was the 70 years of Porsche, the huge Correct. sort of global uh, celebration. Um, not long before I got my car, but I missed out on the whole thing, and very very jealous that I did. So I think they had some pretty big events going on globally, right, at that time. Yes, I, I am a Porsche fan now because of all the Kool Aid I drank on those uh, on the Europe trip being shoveled. Uh, 70th anniversary Porsche left, right, and center. Yeah. Well, post COVID, my plan is to get over to London, buy an old Boxster for five thousand pounds, and drive it from through France, through Germany, through Switzerland, through Austria, through Italy, uh, and down the bottom somewhere, and hopefully take a month or two doing that, just eating and visiting uh, car and watch museums along the way. Fabulous. And T Sand, you're wearing and drinking. I am wearing my Porsche design uh, watch from the 70s. Um, I had it on yesterday and for some reason didn't get around to changing watches today. Uh, So I've got that on the wrist, which is such an enjoyable watch to wear uh, and looks fantastic and don't really see it on anyone else, uh, which is nice. And then I'm just about to open, if you can hear, some Lark. Classic cask whiskey uh, from Tasmania. Um, so I'll try not to get as loose as I did as a guest on uh, the last podcast, as given that I'm one that of the hosts. a great episode. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so that's me. Very nice. Uh, do we want to move on to, I guess, the news that I have written down on the run sheet here? Yeah. As we're recording this, this is... The week after the Hungarian GP and the Spanish 24 hours. Uh, But before we get on to that, we'll start with some watch news that came out. The only thing that really I have interest in that's come out recently is the uh, Messina Labs Uni Racer new model trio drop, I guess. Yeah, good good looking watches. They are very nice looking. I think I found... Yeah, I um, think... Go on. Oh, sorry, T-San. I I think that the one that I particularly... I mean, they're all... They're all very good-looking watches, and particularly if you like that vintage chronograph, Hoyer sort of skipper-esque type 
uh, or th- these were also based on, I think, oh God. Universal Geneva. Universal Geneva, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, UG. Um, but I think uh, particularly I, I like the Safari one. I think the, the those two colours of the green and the sort of cream with the touches of blue and red, I think it's just quite tastefully done. The other two, I kind of, I, I look at them and I just think, those color combos just sort of had to be there. Whereas I think there's something a little bit different about the Safari one. Um, I think that the, the other two is kind of predictable. They're nice. Don't get me wrong. They look cool, but they're kind of just, they're yeah. just there. But anyway, that's my opinion. I'd, I'd throw in, um, there's a lot of Zenith uh, El Primero type yeah. of look going on as well. So yeah, that, that Safari today. looks very much like that uh, recent from a couple of months ago, the coffee re-edition, I guess you'd call it, mm-hmm. of the El Primero. Yeah. And look, yeah. if I didn't have a if I didn't have a skipper, old and new, I think the blues look great uh, as well. So I think um, it's there's definitely a market there for them. I actually like them more than the the uh, one the original one that came out about a year ago, uh, which is far more traditional UG big eye because uh, the colours look great. You know they're interesting, they're fun. See, I've done the opposite. When these first came out, I thought they looked a lot better than the originals, but now looking at them both on the same page, I actually would rather the original white, to be honest. Yeah, mm, yeah. I can see the appeal. Do we want to, while we're on the topic of Messina, do we, does anyone have an opinion on uh, the absolute chaos that's been going on with Ming and the Messina Lab collaboration in the last two days? Anyone well, seen I mean, it? I, yeah, yeah, I won't. I won't. I won't pile on, but I definitely have seen a little bit going on on Instagram. Um, and I would just say that, you know, that, that those hands not lining up like that, it's, is, is, is unacceptable. And I think my comment to the group at the time was, you know, I've owned some pretty inexpensive watches like Dan Henry's and Timex and some Seiko's and some Tissot's and none of those ever misaligned like that. So that's pretty disappointing, especially yeah. as they just seem to be getting more and more expensive as well. If they were a two thousand yeah. dollar sort of watch, I'd kind of maybe understand. But as I said, I've got thousand dollar watches and five hundred dollar watches and two hundred and fifty dollar watches that don't do that. So it's pretty poor. Mm. I think it's probably a podcast in a podcast. So I'm sure someone's going to cover it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm uh, certainly not experienced enough to weigh in it in this topic at all. But what I am reasonably experienced in, yeah, is uh, watching of Grand Prix and long GT endurance races. Do we want to start with the Grand Prix? Because I imagine the two of you, I know the two of you have at least watched the race or the highlights of it. Yeah. Well, I thought it was, I thought the the start was extremely entertaining. The ending was extremely entertaining and the middle was pretty, pretty standard sort of race. But it was, it was great to see um, some different people challenging and and playing the front runners for a little while you know congrats to Esteban for his first victory and uh, he he drove a great race I think it was Alonso that got driver of the day Mm. um was that right was it Alonso yeah 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 um and I, I what did you what were your thoughts on the the Vettel disqualification well I loved it of course (laughs) I actually saw your message when that came up (laughs) because <laughs> uh, as you know from one of the other podcasts as well, I'm not a big fan of 
uh, Vettel after he uh, overtook uh, Weber and denied him a, uh, a Grand Prix win uh, way back in the day. Mm. Um, but uh, I have to say my, my thoughts of it as a one-hour highlight watcher who refuses to pay for um, pay for view uh, was it? It seems like a great a great Grand Prix circuit uh, in Budapest. So you know that's interesting and enjoyable to watch. The guys drive on that. Um, certainly, there was a lot of action at the beginning when it was wet, and then obviously pitting and uh, some great driving. Actually, I have to give credit to. Hamilton, who I'm also not a huge fan of, he seemed to drive really well uh, to get back up into second. Um, and I said to Tom earlier tonight that although I don't like certain drivers, it does seem to be that you do need to have that type of attitude, at least when you're on the racetrack, uh, to be successful, like a Hamilton, a Vettel and a Verstappen. So, fair yeah. enough. You're not, you're not there to make friends. You're there to get a job done, which is winning. Yeah. Even if that includes screwing your teammate as well. Correct. Yeah. And that the part where everyone went into the pit lane after the... Uh, yeah, it everyone except well, I Hamilton. I think it was a safety yeah. car. Everyone except Hamilton. I, I don't yeah. know if that's ever happened in F1 before where 20 or 19 drivers, or there probably wasn't 19 by then. It's probably more like 15 because we yeah. lost a few in the first lap. Yeah, but just to see him by himself with the restart. Yeah, that was funny. Was uh, was quite funny. Yeah, closest to that that we've ever got to that was I think it was O four or O five Indy where I don't remember which way around it was, but I think it was because they were running the Indy car bank circuit for a couple of corners and then the infield section. Yeah, there was some issue with the load on the tires, and this was back when there was two tire manufacturers, Michelin and Bridgestone. I don't remember which way around it was. I think it was the Michelins had issues where they were blowing out. So all the Michelin cars pitted at the end of the formation lap and there only six cars took the grid, um, two of which were the Ferraris because they were the only cars on Bridgestones. That would have been pretty amazing for the actual first lap. Yes. A lot of people were very unhappy that day. Amazing. Yeah, so I really enjoyed that, uh, but I didn't really follow the, the, uh, the Spa 24-hour Closely enough. No, me either. Tell us about it, all you, Tom. Yeah. So uh, I actually, on Saturday night, went out um, for some drinks with some of the fifth risk guys. So I actually got home and missed the start of the 24 hours um, of Spa, but I watched Lucky a bit. Lucky caught... 24 hours then. Yeah. I, I watched a bit and caught some of the highlights. <laughs> um, and it was pretty interesting race. It started off dry and within half an hour, it was bucketing down rain and i was telling t sand earlier tonight there was a section where coming into the bus stop at spa which is like the last complex of corners um it was completely wet um standing water but everyone was on slicks so the first five cars all in a row all came in locked up went wide spun out gathered themselves together and then went straight into the pits um, change your tires and changed tires to wets but you might have seen there was a there was a clip running around of in the last half an hour or so, um, the Ferrari that eventually won was chasing down the leading Audi, and in that back section leading up to the bus stop, held it around the outside through these two left-handers, which are both either flat or like a lift and go through, and he held it around the outside 
enough that he could get up on the inside in the bus stop, take the lead, and eventually go on to win the race. Wow. Very, very ballsy move. Sounds very ballsy. I was about to say, yeah, absolutely. But also on the weekend in England, sadly enough, there was a big incident at Brands Hatch, uh, which actually claimed the life of a marshal that was working uh, at the corner there, uh, which is never good to hear. In in racing, if you don't know, the marshal are the guys you'll see in orange jumpsuits at all the corners, waving flags at people, recovering cars and things like that. All the people that do that job and not actually paid, they're all volunteers um, and take time out of their days and things like that and travel out to go do this because they love it so that motorsport can um, happen. So, yeah, it's really sad when uh, an incident like that happens. It's quite amazing actually these days in motorsport how few deaths there are compared to how how amazing it was in the past, how many deaths there were. Yeah spectators drivers marshals i think there were some races where seven ten people would die uh so things have really changed which is great thank goodness yeah so shout out to marshals because they're the the real heroes of every race weekend they're not getting paid putting their lives on the line so everyone else could go out and have fun well while Mm. we're on that i'll um give a shout out to erwin who will be marshalling at a track day that I'll be doing for the very first time down at Phillip Island uh, on the 22nd of August. So I was, nice. I was actually, I was actually at um, my son's go-karting last week. And one of the other dads there is um, a Porsche driver and is involved in all of the online and PCV Porsche Club Victoria forums. And he said to me, have you ever done a track day before? And I'm like, no, God, no, that seems pretty, pretty scary to me. And he said, well, there's actually a thing you can do called entree class, which is an untimed um, uh, event where you basically just take your car out on the track uh, and, and and enjoy yourself. So I think that it involves four sessions of four laps each. Um, the first session, I think they send you out with an experienced uh, Porsche member uh, driver giving you some instructions. And then, of course, you've got the second, the third and the fourth sessions to to work on what you're doing i have no intention of pushing my old car too hard but i'm really looking forward to it i i really didn't have a concept of what a great circuit uh phillip island actually is and i think unless you're a a real car guy you probably have no idea that this circuit that you know obviously hosted the the bikes um for so many years down the bottom of victoria somewhere is actually pretty much a world-class circuit so um, I've had to go out and buy a helmet. Um, Tom's actually going to come with me down for the day and be my pit crew. Yeah. Um, so it's just going to be a totally amazing experience, which, which is great because I was meant to be going to Noosa for a regatta, which got canceled because of COVID. So this is not only the next best thing, it's probably, you know, a better thing. It's going to be an amazing experience. I'm really looking forward to it. Have you ever done any track work, yeah. Anthony? I've done a fair bit. Yeah. I, right. um, Oh, you you'll love it. You you'll get out of the car after your first session, and you'll just you'll be smiling from ear to ear. You'll be sweating, even though you're probably not going to be driving absolute flat out. Yes. Um, it's just it, it's the most fun you can have with your clothes on. I'm I'm hundred percent certain of that. Um, but yeah, I suppose we could probably just have that. Yeah. yeah what do you want bef- to do, Tom? Uh, before we get onto that, I'd just like to ask. Um, so 
Tsan is someone that has uh, lived around the corner from the Grand Prix circuit. Yes. And Anthony is someone who likely might be living quite close to the new Grand Prix serv- circuit. Ooh. Uh, what are your thoughts on the cancellation <laughs> of the Australian Grand Prix this year? Well, I'll start off um, and then we can hand over to Anthony because, yeah, I'm, I think we've really unzipped our fly by, I mean, it, obviously we didn't have much choice, but I think in the grand scheme of of, of any sport really on a global scale these days, um, I, I would say that there's a, a 50% chance maybe maybe higher of us not actually ever hosting another one in Albert Park that is so a I'm glad that I was able to move into Albert Park in 2012 when the old engines were still loud um, I, I've taken Matthew to see a couple since um, uh, I know that um, Brian uh, gamer without a pause was actually at the last um, Grand Prix the hour before it was cancelled so last year's one uh, so yeah, look, I think there's a good chance we won't get it again. But I didn't know that Adelaide was um, was looking likely. Yeah, I think you know, I, I don't know that Melbourne had much of a choice. It's such a big logistical nightmare to no. future plan an F1 race in your city, not just for the cars and for the drivers and the teams, but also for the city to accommodate the additional people. The, you know, I'm sure it's probably very welcomed that that, that we that they did keep it on, but. I think for for the drivers and everyone to it's it's a quite a costly exercise to come to Australia for them. You think about they got to move from you know Hungary to Germany or Italy or or Belgium and and it's sort of you know a couple of hours drive in the car. I'm sure it's a bit longer than that, but you know they they're, they're transporting with trucks as opposed to planes and all sorts of stuff. But but look as a as an Adelaidean who you know went to some of the races as a kid. Uh, back in the late 80s and early 90s, I'd love to see the the F1 come back to Adelaide, even if it was just for a couple of years. Um, the the Bend circuit is spectacular, world class. You know, it's brand new, and they took they took some of the best tracks and parts of tracks and corners from all over the world and created this absolute bespoke race track that's got. I think four or five different tracks they can set up. They've got an international track, then they've got a short track, and and you know it's it's amazing out there. I've been out there a few times recently just to watch some friends doing some some time trials, and but but even still, the the track in the city, you know, the the Adelaide Grand Prix track has always been one of the top three city tracks in the world ever. So I think you know it'd be great for it to come back. Even for a couple of years, I'd be very grateful. Yeah, certainly talking to um, some of my friends within racing, they they swear by the bend, which mm-hmm. um, we'll, we'll, I'll explain a bit in a second. But I, I think the cancellation this year was inevitable. Uh, the, yeah. the time slot we were given was between Brazil and Abu Dhabi. So they would have to go essentially the wrong way across the world to get to Melbourne. So I think from the yeah. from the start, we were kind of doomed that it wasn't going to happen. But the reason why I said that um, uh, it might not be in Melbourne for too much longer is because uh, the Bend, which is a circuit that has been built in, would you call it rural New South? Uh, sorry, South Australia, uh, or just it's it's not it's certainly not rural. It's it's more like regional. It's about an hour and ten minute yeah. drive um, north northeast of Adelaide. Yeah, so it's um, it's sorry, not in sorry. it's not in as nice of a spot as Albert Park, which is just outside the CBD. 
Um, yeah. But compared to Albert Park, at least for a COVID Grand Prix, um, they have the uh, just above the pit lane, they actually have a, a hotel on top of the pit building. Mm-hmm. So from a, a COVID safe Grand Prix point of view, the teams can all be race, dine, sleep, everything in the one venue. From what I've heard, a lot of people swear it's the best track in Australia. So, and they've sunk a lot of money into that track. I wouldn't be surprised if their plan is to have the Grand Prix there. And it's a relatively yeah. new track, is that right, guys? It is, yes. Oh, it's super new. It's it's only three years old. I think 20, 2018, Yeah, I reckon. And they three might have years done old. Some sounds soft. about the right. Yeah, I was there actually two weeks ago, and it's it's a spectacular place. And I know the Porsche Club here, they, they're always out there, but it's not just them. It's all the clubs going out there doing drive days. And um, I think you're right. Uh, you know, there's, there's also the camping grounds, there's caravan parks, there's, there's beautiful um, Airbnbs to rent on the river. Um, the Murray River runs li- literally directly past it. So, you know, the, it's set up for a COVID-safe Grand Prix. So yeah, you could be right there. I hope you're right. Good excuse for us to all fly and drive over to you, Anthony, for a watch car gathering. Let's do it. Yeah, well, I'm, I might be heading up there mid-September, but if assuming all COVID restrictions, everything hold out. But you're racing your car? Uh, no, my dad's racing. I'll be uh, mechanicing on the car. But Excellent. yeah, looking forward to it. Looks what like a great. Drive, Tom? Oh, I'll have to come up. I'll come up for the day. That'd be good fun. Yeah, he, he drives a similar car to me, a um, uh, 83 or 4 Mazda RX-7 um, built to improve production spec, in, um, which is the category that's run in Australia. Fantastic. Um, nice. Yeah. And it, it's funny because he bought it 30 years after he stopped racing his RX-3. And it's livered up in the same livery as his RX3 used to be, and he's running it in the same category 30 years later. Awesome. So a lot of people that used to race in the category, they see the car and go, oh, I remember you from 30 years ago. (laughs) Um, But while we're talking about the um, the bend and racing, Anthony, uh, I hear that you have a bit of a a history with uh, racing and cars. So why don't we start with your car history? What was your uh, first car? Sure. So my first car was uh, I'd, I'd saved up money for a very long time. I started working in fast food chain restaurants since I was 12. I had a paper run when I was nine. And I ended up being able to save a fair bit of cash. And um, dad was looking for a bit of a project or something we could sort of do together and enjoy. And I was 16 years old and we decided to buy a 1966 Mustang Coupe. It was uh, blood orange in color, had a 289 with a, a three-speed auto. And it was, it was an immaculate car. We, we bought it from Tasmania, sight unseen. The guy seemed trustworthy. He put it onto the Spirit of Tasmania. We flew to Melbourne and uh, literally picked it up at the docks and uh, drove it back the same day. And it, it, it really didn't miss a beat. It had a few issues because it had a a 600 holly on it as well which was extremely thirsty you used to be able to drive and you could literally watch the petrol tank uh, needle moving down as you as you you clocking up the kilometers and you know there's there's nothing like the smell of 60s v8s 
with the, the sort of vinyl leather seats and it's just such a distinctive smell that you can really you you really notice it when you're around older cars and um yeah that was a fantastic car so as a as a 16 year old driving a beautiful 66 mustang it had the 1967 alan moffat gt racing uh 14 spoke uh alloy wheels uh, sorry 14 inch alloy wheels the five the spokes that were sort of yeah the super lights that had black with a chrome dish um i'll, I'll send you guys a picture uh, when we finish this you can have a look at it but you it sound like the kids car. in all of like the Hollywood movies. <laughs> turn sixteen, get a Mustang. It's a pretty outrageous. Well, the thing was fantastic. Yeah, but so we went halves, and that was the whole thing about it. Is Dad said, you know, save up your money, and and we'll do something together. And uh, long story short, I, I we ended up selling it twelve months, well, probably eighteen months later, because I'd lost my license, but not in that car. I got pulled over in my mum's Magna, and come insuring the Mustang again the following year because I'd lost my license for six months. They wouldn't insure me till I was 25 and I just couldn't handle, firstly, my money was tied up in it, but secondly, to have to sit in the garage for eight years and only be able to go for drives with dad just uh, would have eaten at me. So I ended up selling it and uh, yeah, bought a sensible car. You don't ever see it around. You don't ever see it around. I do. I, I, yeah. Yeah, often, often wow. see it around. Um, the guy actually lives not far from my parents' house. So often when I'm driving there, I'll see it on the way. And it's always a joy to see that it's still, you know, this is, this is what, uh, 2004. So it's sort of 16, 17 years ago, maybe a little bit more, maybe 18 years ago. And uh, it's still going strong. And it had a, it had a really rare steering wheel that was sort of had flecks of mother of pearl through the red um the red mustang steering wheel and i actually kept inside the bonnet they used to put a spare badge so the proper mustang badge that either went on the side of the the sort of front quarter panel and they they put a spare one in the inside of the bonnets there so i got a uh, screwdriver and jerried that out before i sold it and i've still got it in my uh, in my little special box um, nice. Of goods and chattels, I'd yeah. say that's a pretty Lots hard. Of great memories. That's a pretty hard card of, for anyone to beat for their first car. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, well, it, yeah. Was, it was a good, good time. I was going to touch on. I I have a similar experience with my first car, um, where I bought off one of my dad's good mates a um, Series One Mazda RX Seven. Um, I had that for two years, and it was it was just a track car, not a road car. Uh, and I, it came time to sell it because I got offered an opportunity to step up into a race car. Uh, and I was thinking of selling it. They'd recently been going up in price. This is a year ago um, or a year and a half ago. And they'd, they'd been going up in price and we were looking at flipping it essentially, like compared to what we'd spent on it, we we're going to make a pretty penny. Um, but then my um, cousin expressed interest. He's like, hey, I've... Uh, I'm finally at a point in my life where I'm pretty stable. Uh, I'm about to get married. I'm settling down. I'd love to have a, like a track car and your car. Like I love it and everything. So we're like, oh. all right, we'll sell it to him in, instead um, at what we essentially spent on it as opposed to making profit. Yeah. But now if I ever want to see it, I know where to go. I might be able to off trade him a drive in some of my cars for that. So for me, I, I like that 
I well, I uh, I guess I know what Anthony feels like. It's nice to know where your car is, and yeah. that should you ever want to buy it back, there's a chance you could be able to. I was going to say, I hope yeah. you've got first dibs on it and that he sells it back to you at the same price since you didn't make a profit oh, on it either. I don't think so. We we sold it for slightly more than we paid for it, but we did a bit, little bit of work um, on it, but not much, nothing nothing crazy. And, uh, and then literally 12 to 18 months later, they basically doubled in price. So yeah. maybe it would have been a good idea to keep it for a little while, but never mind, these things happen. Yeah, I think you can say that for most cars over the last two years. They've all gone yeah. up, even new ones. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I would not be trying to buy a car right now. Well, it was funny because at the time we bought the Mustang, we were looking at all sorts of different cars. And, and one of the cars we did go look at here in Adelaide was a, a beautiful red VC Brock. And okay, again, yeah. I wished it was 10 grand back in 2003, 2004. Just and, quickly for our international listeners, yeah. <laughs> listeners, a VC, the model of Holden Commodore, uh, yeah. famous for, be ra- for being raced by a, a local racing car driver called Peter Brock. Yeah, which which was it was done up by their their HDT, the Holden dealer team, um, sort of almost like what HSV is today is what HDT was back then, probably a bit more racing focused, but just yeah, if you Google Holden vc hdt brock you'll uh, you'll see a, a very very standard 80s car had the flared guards and the squared off spoiler at the back and just a spectacular car that that was one i wished because even now that those things are worth 100 grand 120 grand something like that now it's just insane where cars have gone yeah um, yeah so um anthony what would be your favorite car that you've owned favorite car i've owned probably the mustang but I have had I've, uh, the other car that I had that I really really enjoyed was a 2015 um, Volkswagen Golf R, and mm. I think the R the R is just it, it's a really special car for what it is, and I think it, it it you know they're getting super quick now, and back then they sort of had a really nicely tuned two liter which they've still got now, but they're obviously a lot more powerful now. Um, but I just, I just had some really nice moments in the car. And I think that's what I liked about it the most. I used to finish work on a Friday night in summer and take it for a drive through the hills at sort of seven thirty. no one on the road whatsoever, taking full advantage of the, the fantastic four wheel drive system that again has got even better with the, the newer models. Um, so yeah, I had some wonderful memories in that, that Golf R. It was a, a pretty cool car. Yeah, it must be a very very capable car in a high performance. I find what I find interesting pulling up next door to a Golf these days and a newish Golf is, you know, I look at my car without any technology in it whatsoever, um, and a huge fuel guzzling engine, and you look at a car like a, a a tidy Golf, and it's just better in in pretty much every way, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's faster. Yeah. It'll probably corner better. Yeah, it's got all the newest safety yeah. tech and everything. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. And what are you driving at the moment, Anthony? So at the moment, I What's have current um, my current car is a 2016 Audi A4 Quattro S line. So it's nice. it's about as good as it gets before you step up to the S4 
um, which is a car I'd really, really enjoy. But um, the, the thing I love about the 2016 is it was the facelift where basically 95, 90 to 95% of the car was brand new, even though people look at them and go, you can't tell the difference, but they did so much stuff to, you know, they put magnesium in the steering wheel and the seat backs to make it lighter, the most aerodynamic Audi A4 they've ever, ever built. Um, they moved things like the the mirrors. They moved them back about five inches into the door panel, as opposed to next to the A pillar. And it's little little things like that that they tweaked really really well. I got a great deal. It had some great options. I generally buy cars secondhand because I just can't stomach the uh, yeah. the depreciation hit. And I, and I've been able to enjoy some great cars by buying them secondhand and. And you, you really don't lose a lot of money. You lose a couple of grand here or there, but it's not like buying brand new and then getting bored and losing 20, 25 grand straight away. So, but, uh, but yeah, that, that Audi, it's a, a beautiful moonlight blue, which is, is quite rare. I haven't seen many of them in that color around and you know, it can, it's got the matrix lights and all sorts of tech in it. That's, that's super cool. Um, nice. And it's got the 19 inch RS wheels from the previous generation RSs. So yeah, cool car, very nice car. And tell me, how's it gonna go with uh, a baby seat in the back, Anthony? Well, that's why we got the Skoda Octavia wagon for the dog and the right. baby. So it's, right. uh, I don't know, to be honest, I'll probably end up selling it and get something different, something, I, I really, I think we need two wagons because of the dog. And so if, if I can stretch the bank account, um, I'd like to buy a S4 wagon. I think that Porsche-derived V6 Turbo, 350 horsepower, Quattro, seven-speed automatic, like it's just, it's everything I want in a car and I can stick the dog in the back and not be too fussed about it. So that's uh, that's what I'd like to get. Are we maybe going to see a thinning of the watch herd for the uh, S4? Uh, I've thought about it. You know, it's, it's a really it's a really interesting topic because – as as your collection sort of like I, I feel like particularly this year you know I wasn't buying any watches um, there's nothing really that interests me that that I can afford um, all the watches I want to I can't afford so I'm just sort of dreaming about them but I, I do look at some of the watches I've got and go you know my Audi plus those two is uh, is is an S4 with twenty thousand Ks on it two or three years old. You know what's what do I want? And and I think you the, know the I've problem gonna... is it. What two are you sacrificing for that? Is the are these two oh, that are? I can't say. Do they have a lot of? <laughs> I could probably guess one of them. Problem is, well, do you really want to sacrifice it after all that work for it? It's interesting that the Habring is one that that sort of toys with my emotions a little bit because I see the prices of the the fifty edition of the Lab ones that were made from. Um, bronze and some of the prices you know they're selling for 16k aussie and they're not lasting more than a week or so on chrono so i think if the 50 in bronze what would the 21 in steel and the original be be worth um and compared to what i paid for it you know it's it's a tough it's a tough thing but i i do have some plans to to try and do a, a limited edition with habring I think if I do do that, I'll probably end up letting it go. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather have a connection that I helped create 
than one Fair that enough. was created. Although that's a the habring I have is a is a pretty special piece. So I don't know, it'd be, it'd be hard to do. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I I find it difficult when you buy your watches over a period of time, and you buy them at either either retail or secondhand or vintage, for example, and you didn't pay any ridiculous premium for them. I actually think that adds weight to not selling them because you just go, well, you know, I didn't pay maybe something that's worth 30 grand today that you paid less than 10 for. Yeah. Uh, I didn't pay 30 grand. Yeah, it's, it's worth 30 grand, but I only paid 10 grand or less than, and and I love it. So I'll just keep it. But keeping it seems to be my problem. So maybe I'm not the right guy <laughs> to weigh you. Having seen T-Sense collections, that is definitely one of his issues. Yeah, yes. yeah. And Anthony, do you have a dream car at all? I do. I mean, I've got lots of dream cars. I really thought about Let, this. Let's, and thought, yeah. All right, let's narrow it down to the achievable dream car possibly. Oh, shit. Well, can I do the unachievable first? All right. Because the, the, the unachievable very quickly was is a, a singer. Singer Porsche. I, I just, they are the most amazing full package car i think money can buy it just just nuts so a singer porsche rendition of, and what sort of money what sort of money are they these days uh, 500 us gets you a pretty yeah, basic right. basic yeah. sort of start i think they've just released the hdt or hlsd or something no it's it was, it's in, so it th- that's that would be my dream car. It's the DLS Dynamic DLS, Lightweight yeah. Study. That's it. When I was there in, yeah, when I was there in 2018 at Goodwood, they ran that thing up the hill, and my god, yeah, the air cooled four liter revving to I think it was nine, nine, yeah. Oh, well, that, that's 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 my money no object dream road car. Top Gear just released a YouTube clip on it about two or three weeks ago. Um, it's about 15 minutes long and it, it really goes into it. And the guy driving it is just, it's just insane. I, I'd love to, I'd love to drive it one day. Well, yeah, you know why a, they got that guy to drive it instead of Chris Harris? Why? Chris Harris is a uh, test driver for a singer. So I think it would, oh. it would have been a conflict of interest for him yeah. to review a singer. Yeah. He did a really good um, video of a singer a couple of years ago, yellow one. Early I days, it was. Yeah. 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 That. Mm. yeah. That was good. But look, attainable, I think uh, I, I would be super, 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 super happy with an S4. An S4 wagon for me is a full package. You know, it's got it's got the, the Porsche-derived three-liter turbo, single turbo, plenty of power, plenty of torque. Um, if I really wanted to, I could do a stage one tune just to get a little bit more out of it without having to touch the brakes and everything else through it. Um, that would be super cool. And they're sitting around the 70 mark now for a nice 2016, 2017 model with some good options. And, um, you know, I think for a value for money at the moment, I think that's probably what I would like to do um, because, yeah, they're just they're just awesome cars but bloody expensive to service and run. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, that's what I don't like about Audi. But anyway. No, it'd only be wor- worse if you went up to Porsche, so. Well, no, I see Porsche Porsche services, generally speaking, are quite cheap. They're, you know, they're 695 for a standard, a standard service. Um, and every... 
every three to four years, you have to pay about two grand for a big one. Um, but generally speaking, your your annual running of a of a, a reasonably standard Porsche in a non GT car, it's really not that bad. Uh, it may have gone up people a little do, bit since I last checked. People do complain about the parts pricing, though. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. But I, I think with Porsche, you know, if you you can get warranties for fifteen years, and and mm. they're transferable to new owners. You know, there's a my my father just bought a two thousand and nine. 997.2 C4S and still in warranty pay the extra money to keep the warranty and he can have it for another I think it's another three or four years if he wants to wants to keep it a running. Dot so, two still in warranty that's ridiculous yeah but that's the thing about Porsche is if you know and they can take the K's if they're treated well they'll last mm. a lifetime um, so Anyway, I'm a well, Porsche I just booked my car in for a service uh, uh, next week, and it's it's uh, having its three. It's it's just clocked over three hundred and fifty-seven thousand kilometers. Ah, beautiful. Um, so, um, I actually I actually looked at the at the um, at the meter a couple of weeks ago, and I was I thought to myself, I really must make sure I get a photo of it when it clicks over three five six nine one one, and I, and, <laughs> and a, and of course, I missed it. So um, oh, anyway, no. I, I think it's I think it's incredible that um, the kilometers that some Porsches have on them, and yeah. I've heard it said that Porsche drivers boast about how many kilometers we've got on our cars, whereas Ferrari drivers boast about how few kilometers they have on their cars. Something like that. Yeah, so true. Yeah, very cool. All right, do we want to move on to uh, Anthony? I hear you have a bit of a racing history, or at least. Track driving history. Track history, yes. Racing, I wish. Um, but uh, yeah, look, I've 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 enjoyed being on the track for probably the better part of oh, probably 12, 12 or so years. Um, I was fortunate enough that my father is is a massive Porsche guy, and he was heavily involved in the Porsche Club. He was the president for a number of years, and you know he did some great work with the Porsche Club of South Australia to to really bring the club alive and be super inclusive to all sorts of different people. And, you know, sometimes these clubs can have uh, a bit of a, a stigma to them. And, and he did some fantastic work there, but he, as I said, he had a Boxster S uh, he's had a number of Porsches from his McCann turbo um, GT4. Now the, the C4S and, uh, and the Boxster and, and, you know, he's been trusting, in me that I've been able to drive them whenever I like, which is kind of why I haven't gone out and, you know, really worked hard to save the money to buy something. And, you know, if I was to buy a Porsche, honestly, I'd buy a 987, even a 986 Boxster, um, something like that, just for a bit of fun, maybe 30, 40 yeah. grand, nothing crazy. Um, and I, I would have a lot of fun. In and I, you know, having driven a Boxster for, the better part of eight years and done a fair bit of track work with it. It's, it's just an amazing car. It's such a good car to, to drive on the road. So, uh, but one of my, probably the couple of the biggest things I've done in, in track days have been uh, formula Ford. I had the opportunity to take a formula Ford around Malala for two sessions of 10 laps. And the only, the only downer to that was they had changed the gear ratios um, to have a really, really short 
first and second and then really long third and fourth gears. And these things are manual. Um, Tom, you could probably explain the Formula Fords better than what I can, but they're an open wheeler, open wheeler um, sort of, they, they look like Formula One cars and Formula Two cars without the wings and they're certainly not as big um, and a 1600 engine in them. Um, but yeah, even even doing that, and you know, we we basically spent most of our time in third and fourth gear, even at hairpins, and it didn't matter because you're so low to the ground. You know, the the gearing is just it's bizarre, but it just works, and you can get some some crazy speed. Uh, but yeah, Tom, what what can you tell the listeners about Formula Ford? For people that don't know, uh, Formula Ford has been for. Probably 30 years. I think it was 1969. Yeah. Oh, geez. Okay. Much longer. 50 years has been uh, essentially the first step on the ladder to Formula One. Um, Generally, it's the first proper race car people buy if they're trying to get into racing or if they're coming out of karting going into racing cars and they want to get to Formula One or IndyCar or something like that. And essentially, it as Anthony said, it's like a Formula One car or an Indy car, but you take off the rear and front wing, um, put in a lot, lot of a small, a lot smaller engine. Um, yeah. Generally, there's still a H pattern manual as opposed to a paddle shift. Yeah. The best way that I've heard them described as is they're basically just a coffin on wheels. Yeah. I was going to say to me it looks like to me it looks like a missile <laughs> on wheels, basically. Yeah. I think the fun thing about them is you don't need to be going a whole lot fast to get serious adrenaline cranking because because the vibrations you get through your bum and through your body just from being so low to the ground is is just next level. You cannot experience it in a normal car, even even a race car that's that's up off the ground feels so different to when you're being that yeah. low and imagine imagine a go-kart but with proper sized wheels a proper engine i mean i know the go-karts these days are bananas but it's just the next level by by proper sized wheels they're they're probably only a 15 inch wheel that's probably seven inches wide and they don't run a full yeah. slick generally they run a, a what's called a semi slick so it's somewhere in between a road tire and a full slick tire. It's still got grooves and everything and can run in the dry or the wet. Um, but haven't been out on track with them, uh, luckily enough, in my dad's old Radical at the time. Uh, I was mm. I was lucky enough to drive it in a session with Formula Fords. And they're not that quick in a straight line, but my God, are they, they can break on a dime, turn on a dime. Yeah. Like I, I would look in my mirrors and go, oh, there's a Formula Ford back there. Yeah, no worries. I'll just take my normal normal line. And then as I'd look across to turn in, it'd be like, oh, Jesus, he's right there. I've got to turn in late now because he's dive bombed me. Yeah. Uh, they look like they were made cool. to go around corners. Is that right? Yeah. 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 They, yeah. They're they all about mechanical grip and the tire grip as opposed to using aerodynamics. Yeah, hmm. definitely. And probably the other Amazing. biggest biggest track experience I've ever had was um, the Nürburgring. So being able to, as a car fan, making the pilgrimage to the Nürburgring with my father. I mean, I've talked a bit about it on my podcast, but um, we had a professional racing driver called Luis Ramirez who handed me his business card and it literally said professional race car driver. And I thought that's a great business card. 
Um, but he, he was fantastic and we took out um, BMW M240s uh, onto the track. And, you know, for, for a first time around the Nürburgring, it's extremely daunting because your insurance excess is 30,000 euros in fault or not. And for Essentially, everyone, if you crash, you buy the car. Yeah, for people and, that don't know. And basically, any any damage you do to the barriers, every meter is a thousand euros to repair. If you if you have caused the accident, you also have to pay for the insurance excess on the other car until it's all sorted out, and then you can get your money back. And you know, there's YouTube corner which. We, we spent a bit of time there just watching and you can see why people do so many stupid things there because that's where the crowd is and they come around the corner, they get overconfident, they put their foot down too quickly, next minute they're sliding off into the grass and bang into the barrier and, and it happens it's a, it's so pretty, often. It's a very tricky 90-degree right-hand. Yeah. You, you can quite easily underestimate it. Yeah, and because it's coming down a hill as well. Um, yeah. You, you, the back end gets super light when you put your foot down. And if you're not careful, if you've not got the right line and your, your steering is still locked because it's quite a, it's still a 90 degree turn, it can be scary. But, you know, having, having him sitting next to me doing a few laps with me, uh, well, I was going a lot faster than I did when I was on my own because he was, he knew the track and it's, that's not a track you can learn without doing, you know, at least, 20 to 40 laps consistently you'll start to get a bit of an idea um but one of the best things he taught me was you look up ahead and you look at the tree lines so if the you you can follow because some of them you've got some big crests that you can't see what's on the other side so if you're flat out doing 180 or 200 k's an hour and it's a corner you know you're mints so you look ahead look at the tree line and the tree line will tell you which way um you know which way the the track's going but to say that I drove the Nürburgring, um, I got to see the the GT2 RS, the MR, the Mante Racing. We went to Mante Racing and had a look at their shop, and it's just bonkers. It really, really is a place like there's no place like it in the world, and it's absolute heaven for a car nut. So during my 2018 Europe trip, we were lucky enough to go there, and while I didn't drive because I hadn't had any track experience at that point, and I was like, I'm not not dealing with this first ever track experience. Yeah. Um, I was lucky enough to ride with my dad and my cousin. Cool. Um, the one that, and my cousin that eventually ended up buying my RX-7. But um, when I was riding with my dad, I'd done a couple of laps on PlayStation. So I knew where some of the corners went, but not all of them. Yeah. And I remember distinctly, there's a corner where you come up. Um, it's a little bit after the carousel. There's a couple of left-handers. And then there's like a 90 degree right and then another 90 degree right after a crest. Uh, and then so that second 90 degree right after a crest, I remember coming over that crest and my dad asking me, where does the track go? And I said <laughs> left. When it, I said left when it went right, but it was only as I said left, I could see a radio tower to the left that I went, yeah. oh, crap. No, it actually goes right. But luckily we weren't. Um, with how my dad was driving, he wasn't really pushing it. He was driving by eye. Yeah. So luckily he was not going that quick where it was like, okay, we can still make it the, the corner and go right. And for but, those uh, of us who don't know, how many how many turns does Nürburgring have? Uh, 200 and... 
I think it's 127 yeah, 100, from memory. Something like that. Yeah. It might be 153. Yeah. Um, and how long did it take? How long does it take someone like you guys to get around it? Oh, uh, you don't even really time to be honest, but probably somewhere <laughs> no, around you're, 10 minutes. You're not 10 meant to, to time. Minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I guess there's, there's, I've never felt any more sort of small and insignificant than you do when you look in your review, review mirror down a long straight and there's nothing. And by the time you get to the corner, there's a GT3 RS right there. And though, I mean, they're, they're wide, they're low, they're, they're loud, but everything is happening so fast on the track that if you forget to look for your mirrors for two or three seconds, next minute there is, there is a GT3 or a Lambo right up your bum getting, getting ready to overtake you. And it's just, it's, it is quite scary, but it's good fun. One of the other problems with the circuit as well is, so you can turn up at, uh, let's say like five o'clock on a weekday and they generally have what's called a tourist button, which is essentially you turn up, pay money and you can drive the track, but it follows, it's treated as like an autobahn where it's unrestricted speed limit, except in uh, two sections where there's the entrances. Um, but otherwise it essentially, it doesn't follow normal racetrack rules. It follows road laws. Right. Yeah. So it's, I think it's overtaken on the right. And if you're slow, stay to the left from memory. Yeah. Um, like but that 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 causes that caused issues for us coming from regular track driving, where we're on track and we're in regular track mode, where it's like follow the racing line, and the other the faster cars will make their way around you. But because you're surrounded by Germans that only follow the letter of the law, they can only overtake on. The left-hand side, I think it was, from memory. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Which caused a lot of issues for us. Yeah. Because we weren't used to that. And I'm assuming Germans weren't too happy about that. Being no. <laughs> but um, but uh, so my first, uh, I think before I really got interested in cars, I definitely watched Top Gear. It was probably the one car show I did watch, along with the occasional Formula One uh, race that was on TV. And I'm pretty sure that one of my first interactions with the Nurburgring was watching uh, Zabine. Uh, what's is she referred to as the queen of the Nurburgring? Yeah. Um, yeah. So she only recently passed away, I think, from mm. uh, some cancer. Um, but she was on Top Gear maybe 10 years ago and just, you know, an amazing driver and an amazing smile. And she was getting around there in a in a transit van, is that right? Yeah. She did um, a couple of things on Top Gear. One was a transit van. The other she did a there was like a diesel XJS Jaguar that she smashed Jeremy Clarkson's time with that. Um but yeah, she can she could certainly drive. Super sad to see what happened. Um, yeah. but she certainly left she left a legacy and left her mark on the the Nurburgring but Absolutely. also, you know, the car community globally in general. Um, Did she win the Le Mans as well, I think? I'm not too sure on her racing career. But she, um, from what I know, her and her, her husband uh, had this set up sort of bed and breakfast thing where they, they you, you stay with them, she'd take you to the track, she'd sort of sit with you, do some laps for you so you can sort of see what speeds are like and then she'll sit with you and coach you around the track. And I just think that would have been the most amazing experience for people that got to do that. Um, I'm Absolutely. sure it wasn't cheap, but I'm sure it was certainly worth 
worth Badly. its weight in gold for sure. Yeah, very, so, very um, sad to see that. So on the Nürburgring, if you're jo- joining from, if you pay your money on a tourist lap, uh, you'll go down the straight under a gantry, kind of go uphill a bit, and then you'll go a 90-degree right-hander past a kind of uh, metal um, barrier, and then we'll go down into a, like a 90 or greater left-hander downhill, and then it kind of goes into a tight, twisty section. So that 90-degree left-hander has been remain, uh, renamed Sabine Schmidt Curva, I think oh, it nice. is. Yeah, cool. Nice. In recognition yeah. of her, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I mean, obviously, for me, really cool. for me, she was an incredible driver first and foremost. But you know, again, being a sports person, some comments I've made before, like she, the way she did it with a smile, um, very inclusive, um, and obviously she touched a lot of people. You know, I think that's that's a great legacy. You know, more than more than how many wins you might get, for example. Uh, so she strikes me as that kind of person who lived, yeah. you know, many lifetimes in, in, a, in a short lifetime compared to the average human. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, she was great. Let's move on to something that's a bit more lighthearted. Uh, <laughs> if, you're, if you're a long-term listener of Fifth Wrist, I'm sure you've probably listened to at some point a Defining Time show with Anthony. Um, and you might have listen to an episode in which he does like a, a generally like a, a budget challenge where it'll normally be pick a $1,000, $5,000 and $10,000 watch um, for a specific category. So Anthony had suggested to us, why don't we do a, a three-car garage? Uh, and I've got, I've got two lists here for the three-car garage because he gave a uh, criteria of 500000 Australian dollars. <laughs> And he had suggested a sports slash supercar, a family hauler, and a four by four. So I, I've, I don't know about you guys, but I've got two lists depending on if we could only pick those three categories or how much you wanted to stretch those three categories. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of made up some rules as well. Like I kind of thought, well, surely you've got to be able to buy it. So whether that's a, a new car retail from a dealer or on car sales or from, you know, uh, one of the one of the vintage car dealerships in Melbourne or Sydney. So that's the approach I took. Yeah, that sounds fine. All all the cars I'm going to pick, you can buy, and they're they're on Chrono, so I'm happy with that. Yeah. And car now, sales, you mean you've you've spent uh, too sorry. much time looking at watches? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, car hey, sales. I've spent plenty fine. of time. I've spent plenty of time on car sales during COVID as well. Don't worry about that. But um, oh, so uh, is this like a draft where obviously you can't pick? someone else's what are some of the rules is there an order i think we should probably do one person uh go through their whole list right and then i think Ooh. i think it was we decided uh, uh models disqualifies that model so if you pick a 911 no matter the generation or model it disqualifies 911s which i think will yeah. probably be a big issue for all of our lists <laughs> i think so uh, and so to okay to, to take that a step further, I understand that. But if you let's say you chose a nine eleven in one category, does that preclude it from from choosing it uh, in another category? Yes, yes. it does. Okay, once nine eleven's okay. out, it's done. It is done because you know what? Because you know it's the it's the it's the true uh, one car does it all in my opinion. But that's fine. Yes, 
I think, okay, so we'll, we'll, at the end of this, we'll say what our excluded cars are. But yeah. I think we start with Anthony. Okay. Oh, yes. So so I get to go. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know if I should do them all at once because I think it needs to be fair that you guys get a shot. So maybe we'll do one car, yeah. one watch. And then yeah. we'll go to the rest of them. Now you can you can choose whichever one you want to do first. We've also we also picked three watches. Go with those cars, but with a budget total for those three watches of fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, which, to be honest, I thought was a bit high, but it kind of made sense at the five hundred thousand dollar budget for the cars. So uh, one tenth. They say you should spend one tenth of your wealth on uh, on luxury. So. Anyway, we're all we're all multi millionaires today. Um, Sorry, was that, that one tenth or ten times? Ten times yeah, from in ten my times life. probably. <laughs> yeah. So I'll I'll kick it off, and we'll start with the sports car, supercar. Get the get the big car out of the way. Oh, all right, we can do that one. We'll. Uh, all right. So my my sports car is a 2021 Porsche Cayman GT4 PDK. 220 grand, mm. thereabouts, brand new. Um, and I, I think that the... Is 981 yeah. or 982? 982, so the four liter. Um, and I think the the reason I chose that car, so um, I have driven GT4 before and the manual version of a 2016 model. And, you know, there's all this talk about the, the way that the... The way the gear ratios are not set up correctly. Well, I was going to ask that. Are you are you including that the uh, what is it twenty five grand to get it regeared? No, why not? No, 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 no. So this this will be PDK because it it adds the extra gear, so you get seven gears and the and ratios are slightly closes smaller. up the ratios. Yeah. yeah, okay. Which makes a huge difference to your second and third gear, which are obviously the most important gears in a car like this. Um, but Having driven a GT4, and I know how great it is on the road, on the track, um, the PDK side of things solves the problem of the gear ratios, even though you, you really don't notice it unless you are proper track driving and you really needed to you know, be able to get out of first and be in higher range for second to get the power down or whatever it might be. Um, but as an all-round sports car that you can you know track it you can you can drive it daily if you really want to if you get the 18 ways instead of the carbon buckets um, or even just the, the two-way standard seats um, you know it, it, it can be a comfortable car it's got adaptive dampers um, you know it, it's just a, an awesome car and I, I know that for me I would be super super happy if I had a, a GT4 and to match it from a watch perspective um, I've gone with a watch that I would actually like to add to my collection someday, and I hope I do, and that is a Habring Doppel 3.1 Titanium. So split-second chronograph, um, sub-register at 9 o'clock, and a 60-minute counter around the outside. And, you know, it's titanium. It's 42 mil. It is a manual wind, which I'd probably rather it be an automatic, but I don't really care. Um, and I that came in at... That came in at thirteen eight thirty, but I reckon you could maybe slice a little bit off it. Um, so that eats up nearly a third of my watch budget. But yeah, that's that's my start two car car watch collection. Fantastic. 
Okay, that's that's very interesting. I was not expecting a Cayman. I will be honest. Mm. I like I'll the pick. You guys take I'm the 911s. I will let T San go next because I do have a 911 on my list, but I'm happy to sacrifice it in uh, in exchange for a car that will be a lot more unique. So, T San, so, if you want to go up next. Yeah, well, I was remaining quiet because I was hoping you would let me go next. And unbelievably, as you say, there's a 911 on the table still. So, I didn't expect to be able to pick this, and I had other options that were nowhere near as much money. But I think if I had, if money wasn't an, an issue, um, and I was looking at a Porsche, a new Porsche, I'd probably go with the 911 or the 992, the, the, I think it's the current model, Targa Heritage, uh, okay. which is a, a good $400,000 car. So, you know, Jeez. this is almost like, uh, I, I, don't, I, don't have a, I don't have a watch grail, but I think this is essentially a, a car grail for me because okay. I can't imagine really ever having the money to buy one. And I think it's a fantastic new car with a lot of the, I mean, it's basically like a, a vintage watch reissue, but it's a car. So I, it's a I'm cool... surprised that for that money, you're going for such a specific model that's not a GT or a turbo. Well, I think it does sum me up a little bit. I mean, I don't from a car from a watch perspective, I don't really care about what the what the movement is. It's all about the dial, you know. It's all about the the look and the case. And for Fair me, enough. the Targa Heritage, in its color and its and its shape and its life, it's almost a lifestyle car. Um, and the fact that it's an, a, a a new version or a reissue of 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 such a um, historic car for Porsche, being the Targa, which is essentially the f- the first Cabriolet um, that they ever did before they even did a Cabriolet, maybe ten years before they ever did a Cabriolet. Um, I just think it'd be really cool to have uh, that car uh, in my garage from a, and I would look at it as a you know a super car sports car for me, and it would absolutely blow the budget on everything else but you know if i could do that i would for sure but and that's of course you know i can't afford a singer because that's a million dollars whereas we've got a five hundred thousand dollar budget so yeah that's what i thought i'd go for and and the watch to pair with it yeah so uh i considered so with the watches what i decided to do was to stick to the watches that i actually own which kind of aligns because you've given us a fifty thousand dollar budget for three watches and my budget per watch is up to you know anywhere from a thousand to ten thousand, but so you're, um, leave, so you're leaving at least twenty grand on the table. Well, let me come to that. So there's a number of watches that are sort of at that around that ten k mark, which I think would be lovely to wear in the Targa Heritage as I'm cruising around the coast of Australia or the coast of Europe somewhere. Uh, and Ox, I think the Ox and Junior would be a great travel watch, and so it would go well in the in the car. Uh, I bought my CK2998 uh, Omega Speedmaster in, in Italy, so I think it would go great in the car. I think the Habring would go great in the car because it's from Austria and, um, you know, I could be driving the, the, the Targa Heritage around Austria as well. But all of those are 10K. So what I actually did was I've chosen to go with my Hedinki Skipper uh, okay. because while I paid 10000 for it, I noted that someone recently paid $30,000 for it. So I'm blowing $30,000 on a $10,000 watch uh, <laughs> to go along with my $400,000 car. Okay. 
that's interesting because I know one of my cars, uh, sorry, one of my watch picks is also paying over retail for it. Yeah, I think it's fair. If you're going to buy it today, that's what you're going to have to pay apparently. So, uh, Unless I can convince someone within the fifth risk community to uh, part with it, but I don't think I will be able to. Um, so I, I guess I'll move on to my pick, which considering the 911 just got taken, so that mm-hmm. eliminates my original pick. Um, I'll fall back to my unique pick, which is a, you, you better get your Googles ready here, a RX-8 Grand Am car. So Grand Am stands for Grand America, which is a race series that was run in America from late noughties to early tens. Yep. And it was essentially like a production-based kind of category. Anyway. So the RX-8 Grand Am cars are interesting because it's a it's a space frame tube chassis car. So it's not based off a production car. Uh, base of the car itself is a man with a welder and a whole bunch of tubes put it together. Right. And they've put a fiberglass and carbon body over the top of it. Right. That looks a little bit like an RX-8 road car. Yes, definitely. But underneath, it's got a three-rotor engine, which never came in an RX-8. It's a specific race-built motor and a sequential gearbox, which we talked a bit about on episode one so it's a purpose-built race car um i happen to know that the cars that were raced in america a couple of them are in australia and i know who owned them and i'm sure if i came knocking with the money they would probably part ways with them um what are they worth depends what car i'm coming knocking for (laughs) what are you going to spend of your 500k of my 500k i'm probably budgeting for about to be safe, probably about two fifty. Wow. Yeah. Um, is the the so the car I know of that I'd probably be able to buy with that money has the most providence within the cars that I could buy. Um, so the reason why that you two will probably find these cars interesting is of some of the drivers of them of the era. There's two that will stand out to you particularly. One of them was a guy called Lee Keen, uh, who if you don't know who he is, he's an American guy who is big into his 911s, races 911s. And I'm not sure if you're either of you are fans of the smoking tire on uh, YouTube. Yeah. yeah. But no, his his Safari 911 was built by Lee Keen and it's Lee oh. Keen's original idea, that whole Safari 911 thing. Ah, right. Very cool. Um, but I have no doubt you've heard of the second driver of these kinds of cars, um, which he drove these before he got into Porsches, but after he starred on a very famous TV show, a guy by the name of Patrick Dempsey. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You may have heard of him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this was his, his big start into racing was with right. uh, Mazdas and Rotaries wow. before he got picked up by Porsche and became a uh, big ambassador for Porsche. Yeah. Nice. Well, it may not be similar to the road-going RX-7, but tell me it has the suicide doors at the back. Yes, yeah, so the, the, the Grand Am RX-8, it still has the suicide doors. That's pretty cool. Um, but no seats I think the, the bat- <laughs> I, th- I think from memory, the battery is just behind either the driver or where the passenger seat would be. Yeah. So they use the suicide doors to get in for jump leads and things like that. Fair enough. <laughs> Very good. Cool looking and, a, and a watch? And a watch to pair with it. Um, so I might as well pair with it a chrono, considering it's racing heritage and all that, and it's a race car. Uh, and this is the the uh, watch that I have to 
probably pay over retail for unless I can convince a certain someone to part with it. And that is the Zenith El Primero Manufacturer Edition. Hey, Woodsy. So I don't think Woodsy would part with his considering he helped consult no. on the uh, watch itself. Yes. Uh, but they're, they're running, based on what I can find, about 15,500 Australian, not including import duties and taxes and all that fun stuff. Yeah, it's cool. Very good. Cool watch. Very yeah. good. I, I, love the, I love the three blue subdials. Yeah. It's yeah, a very it's beautiful nice. watch. I can't believe I don't have an El Primero in the collection, actually. Yeah, considering you got all those sort of vintage Hoya chronographs, yeah. it's probably, probably uh, something for you in the future, yeah. maybe. 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 Very cool. All, all right. right. So we, good start. we loop back around, Anthony. So we're moving on to our family wagon or the family hauler. Um, family hauler mm. all right so this this probably doesn't come as a surprise um but if if i could have a, a family hauler to include in this 500k i'd have to go with a 2019 audi rs4 wagon um i went the 2019 because i needed the money uh so i've got the 2019 for 140 grand with 5,000 Ks on it and car sales right now. And yep. um, I mean, you know, it, it's just, it's just an awesome, an awesome car that it can do anything you want it to do. It, you know, it, it it's going to take a baby seat, no problem. You can put the dog in the back and you get to drive a, a twin turbo 2.9 liter engine that's, just a bit bonkers i mean these things don't sound as good as they used to but the flared guards the stance just the sheer stance of an rs4 and an rs6 for that matter but they're another 100 grand on top so that ain't happening but yeah i i think for a family car if 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 money was there i think that would be something pretty special that you'd be pretty happy to go on a long drive in and tag it through the hills and do what you got to do well, so, I like about that is you can put the dog in the back. You can put, you know, a couple of child seats in the back and it all works. Yeah. And, and while I'm on that, can I just make a point for those people who are either soon to be dads or newly, newly arrived dads? I actually think it's really important that you don't get rid of some of the things that bring you joy when you have babies and kids. Yeah. Uh, and it's really important for those guys who are into cars, uh, that they don't do that. Because I think you look back on that in 5, 10, 15, 20 years and, and really have some regrets. So I would encourage you, if you're a car guy, to try and hold on to the things that, that do bring you joy. Uh, even if it means you, know, you, don't, you don't drive it that much or you, know, you have to maintain it for a period of time, uh, I really would encourage you to hold on to it. I, I was driving a... Like I wasn't a car guy, but I was driving a Forester GT before we had kids, and I absolutely loved that car. That was most definitely my favourite car before I bought the 911, and we sold that for like some Subaru SUV. Um, and certainly, if you know where to look, there is plenty of enthusiasts, but also family-friendly cars out there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And on that. Anthony, what you were saying with loving the RS6. The problem with the RS6 is Audi have gone through so many engines in the RS6 mm. that are all so different from each other that each of them manages to hold their value well. Yeah. They started with the naturally aspirated V8. 
They then went to a naturally aspirated V10 mm. and then now at a twin turbo V8. So it's kind of eliminated that because Audi have decided to change up the motors throughout the, the models of it. Smart thing to do. I mean, I don't think it was intentional. I think it was more around developments of engine technology and uh, emission standards and things like that. And, you know, engines don't sound like they used to. And we know that from F1 alone. But, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think it's probably played in favour of the owners and the way that they hold their value, um, which is awesome. So if, if I could, 2019 RS4, 140 grand. Um, nice and the matching watch now matching watch this one was difficult for me uh, but i'll i'll just come right out and say it it is a rolex explorer 2265 (laughs) 226570 so explorer 2 black dial brand Mm. new 12 grand um it so that leaves me roughly 25 grand to play with from a watch perspective and mm-hmm. yeah, I just think that the Rolex Explorer Two Black Dial is—it's a forty-two mil watch, or but it—it it doesn't wear all that big, and it's a tough watch. It can take the knocks, it can take every day, it can do travel, it does the whole works, and I think that would be a cool, a cool watch to pair with a car like that. Um, yeah. That that I would I would really enjoy. Now I don't know about T San, but I know myself. I love the Explorers to the Explorer Twos, but I yeah. am way too small of a wrist to ever pull them off. Yeah, see, I'm lucky in that sense. I can wear a 42 um, with not too much issue. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, I wish they'd go back to 40, or even yeah. you know a 41 oh. that's 40.5. Um, that would be kind of cool. But anyway, that's my family hauler. Nice, nice. Well, I haven't left myself much money um, in the car in the car space, so I've got a hundred thousand dollars left for two cars. Um, so for my family wagon, what I decided to do, my kids have grown up, so they're not that much of an issue, and meaning they're you know I don't have to worry about car seats, and they can jump in the car themselves and put their own seat belts on and all that sort of stuff. So for my family hauler, what I've done is there's any number of old BMWs, uh, for example, a 1985 uh, E30 323 for 30K Ooh. or a 86 BMW E28 525 for like 10 to 20K, uh, a 98 BMW E36 M3 for 50K. So look, it'd be a 20-year-old BMW sedan type thing um, for 50K. And it could be any of those. Uh, I don't think you guys are going to take any of those, so I just leave it at that. And essentially, those... whatever you fancy on the day for 50 50k. Yeah. And some of those cars have great stance, a lot of style, a lot of uh, sort of heritage. Um, they're they BMW heritage. They're old enough to have a lot of vintage style about them, but they're not obviously new cars. And I reckon cruising around in one of those with, you know, my three kids, um, I reckon that'd be pretty cool. Uh, I've only test driven a uh, E30 and a 2002. And compared to the Porsche, they handle like lounge chairs. But, 
you know, it's a sedan, it's a BMW. That's, that's cool. I'm just cruising around uh, with the kids. So yeah, so that's my family hauler. Uh, and again, looking at my current watches that I think would be appropriate for that. Um, we've got, there were, there, were, there were a couple sort of in that uh, Genta type of space. Uh, the BNR, the Bell & Ross BR05, I thought was a, a nice one just for cruising around in that car. But I settled on the IWC uh, Ingenieur, um, mm. which I thought would go pretty nicely with a BMW as well. Yeah, good choice. So I'm down to $10,000 left for a watch and $50,000 left for a car. Nice. What about you, Tom? Well, considering we're in a, a Australian-based podcast, the three of us, uh, I thought I would fly the local flag here for the family hauler. Sadly enough, I'm on the wrong side of the fence to be able to buy a wagon. Uh, yeah. But my, my vote would be, uh, growing up in Australia, of course, there's a big Ford versus Holden rivalry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Holden being General Motors for people outside of uh, Australia in the US or Vauxhall in the UK, and I think. Is it Chevrolet or Vauxhall in... Oh, sorry, Opal in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and soon to be General Motors in Australia as well. Is that right? Correct. Mm. Uh, but I would be picking a FPV FG F6. Mm. So FPV is Ford Performance Vehicles. So it's a it's a local arm of Ford that ran from about probably 2004 to about 2013 or 14. Uh, back when we actually used to produce cars in Australia. And it was the road car um, of a race car team that we had here who were officially backed by Ford Australia and by extension Ford America. Uh, and it's it's essentially a hotted up version of a Ford Falcon. Uh, but it has the, for those of you that are familiar, it has the modified Barra Turbo motor in it which is a straight a 4 liter straight 6 with a turbocharger on it that's a bit of a boat anchor but easily produces a lot of horsepower and safe horsepower. Yeah. Um, good cars. Very good cars. Um, and a watch? The watch that I'm pairing with it is a bit of a... It's a watch that um, I guess an everyman could probably aspire to, like the car in Australia. Um, it'd take a bit of a sacrifice, a bit of hard work, a bit of saving. But my pick along with a lot of my picks, I'm going to go for something a bit left field. Uh, and I'm going to say a dive watch being the Planet Ocean 39.5mm in blue, which runs you about probably 7.5 based on what I've seen uh, secondhand. Nice. Very good. They do. They, they fit. I can see how that fits. And you probably have a blue, a blue FPV as well. Yes, it would. <laughs> uh, it, for those of you that are familiar, there's a, a specific blue. Yeah called the nitro blue which is a very bright metallic blue almost like the gravel blue of mustangs or the uh the focus rs blue yeah um, but it's on a four-door sedan and that's the combo i'd probably have very good nice. very good all right my last is the the four by four so i went so i have a roughly 140 grand left and 25 grand on a watch so I have gone with a 2021 Land Rover Defender 110 <laughs> D300 X Dynamic HSE Auto. So 136,990 on car sales right now. Yeah. Um, it does have 
a few kilometers on the clock, but not many. I think it's um, actually no, that, that, this one was brand new. So you get the the bigger three liter turbo diesel um, six cylinder, but also you get all the stuff that you need for going off road. And, you know, I'm a fan of Land Rover, but I'm not a fan of the reliability side of things with them. But because this is fantasy, I'm just going to pretend that the the old saying of the Land Rover will take you anywhere. It just won't take you home um, <laughs> and, and hope that it does take me home. So that's my, my four by four. And I think in this category, there's so many fantastic cars that you can buy, particularly from Toyota. Um, and the watch that I've gone with, I don't want to be too predictable here, but I'm, I'm unfortunately going to have to because it's a watch that I'm really lusting after, and that is an Oxen Junior Day Night. And I just, for 16,000 Swiss francs, so 24,699 for the iteration that I want, it's a lot of money for that watch, but you are getting a spectacular, at least not in movement, and then, you know, this this complication that is described as romantic and being able to know when you're out in bush with your Land Rover Defender, knowing when the sun's going to go down, knowing when the sun's coming up, knowing where the moon is, where the moon is in the month. Um, it's got a date. It's a hundred meters water resistant. It's titanium. It goes great on a rubber strap. Like it's just, it's just a spectacular watch and spectacular complication that I think I would find very useful camping, being out in the in the wilderness and outdoors and could have a lot of fun with that. So that is uh so I'll just I'll wrap up my cars and watches. We've got the the GT4, 2021 GT4 with a PDK matched with a Habring Doppel 3.1 titanium split second chronograph. We've got the 2019 Audi RS4 for 140 grand, as well as a Rolex Explorer 2 Black Dial, the, the new model, 226570, and then the Defender with the Oxen Junior Day Night. If I had those six items in my life for 550 grand, I would be a pretty happy chappy. Yeah. All I have to say is I'm very upset that you picked the day night there because uh, I was going to pick a day night, but uh, I should I knew I should have done it a bit earlier. And um <laughs> and I've got a I've got a a Porsche friend who has just bought a um a recent Defender as well, and oh, he loves absolutely he absolutely yeah. loves it. So um it's a great a great looking car, and and not that this is a draft, but to take the Defender off the table uh, is a is a great call as well. It's a it's a good one. That's only because I went first. You guys, yes. you guys let me yes. go, which is rule number yeah. one: don't let the guests go first. No, no, no. So, <laughs> so I'm up next, and absolutely in the car. My first pick was like a 2011 short wheelbase Defender for about 50k on car sales. Yeah. Um, because I think the ultimate. I mean, even with my current uh, 1978 Targa, I think a, a, a short wheelbase Defender. Uh, that would be the perfect two-car garage. Uh, so that's off the off the table. Um, I did also during COVID. I another a third car I test drove was a 2002 Discovery because um, I really liked that looking car. Um, but again, 
the test drive, it was like driving a tractor. Like it yeah. just didn't, um, it just didn't do it for me. So uh, while I can pick one of those up for twenty five k, I think you'll be. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll be ridiculed, but where I landed for my fifty k four by four was the Suzuki Jimny. Yeah, cool. Um, Good pick. Yeah, the latest one. So I just think it's like a mini Defender, but with a yeah. Japanese badge on it. Um, yeah. And I think that car, uh, along with my <laughs> uh, Porsche Heritage, uh, is a great combo. It's, um, it's a smaller Defender that will actually work. Yeah. I think it looks really <laughs> great too, by the way. I think it looks great. Um, cool. Especially in the nuclear green color. Yes. I have to say, though, in real life, I would have a problem paying $50,000 for that car when that's what I spent on my on my Porsche. But um, this isn't real life, and I think it's a fantastic cool car. I pulled up next door to that car at some lights, and the dude wound down his window and said to me he, he, that he loved my car, and I said to him, I love your car. So, yeah, I think, I think it's a great combo. Uh, and to go with it, um, in the 4x4 territory uh, of watches, uh, some go without saying in my collection. The North Flag I've talked about many times before, uh, and two recent uh, acquisitions: the Halios Seaforth that I got from Vinny uh, without a profit, as we we're talking about before, uh, Tom, and also mm. the latest uh, Hidinki Unimatic would be a pretty good look. But where I landed, I thought a really good look in the Suzuki Jimny in that green would be my vintage Skipper that I picked up uh, for mm. 10k. Uh, a couple of years ago so um i think that's a beautiful practical vintage chronograph uh certainly that you don't see every day and i think it would be uh pretty fun in the suzuki jimny so that's my three very nice tom all right we've made life uh, hard for you i suspect ah uh, a little bit so I'm going to go for kind of two opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of what they're designed for. Uh, maybe not what they're designed for. I guess, actually, no. My two picks of what they're designed for versus what they're used for are two different things. Right. So my pick car-wise is going to be a 1990s ex-Australian Army G-Wagon. Nice. Uh, while they're not yet available, um, I'm sure you've probably seen the 110 Land Rovers floating about that are ex-Australian Army issue. Yeah. Um, yes. I'm aware from a friend that there's a couple of G-Wagons that are currently in use in the Australian Army. Hmm. So I'd wait until one of those become, uh, like, till they get phased out, and I'd probably pick up one of those. Is, the, Is that a two-axle or a three-axle? drive? A two-axle. <laughs> Uh, I don't think the budget would quite stretch for a three-axle based off of my uh, previous two picks. And what sort of money is that going to cost you, do you reckon? I'm not 100% sure on what kind of money that would cost me. What have you got left in your budget? Uh, I've, I've got a pretty penny. It depends on what the FPV would cost me, but I'd probably say safely about 100. I'd have 150 to 200 left in my budget. Yeah. Uh, which even if, even if it doesn't cost that much, uh, servicing a ex Australian Army Mercedes as well as a uh, rotary race car, I'd probably need the remaining budget to just pay for servicing and upkeep. Yeah. But Anthony's really put me in a uh, difficult spot uh, for the watch pick because I was actually going to pick an Oxen Junior night and day for that. 
Mm. Um, Sorry. But <laughs> I'd probably be, I guess, if the budget would allow, which I'm sure it would, I'd probably be picking up a Sarpaneva. Nice. Uh, one of the one of the full full loom dialed Sarpanevas. I don't know exactly which one, but I'm sure I could find one that I would like for my budget. I think that complements the G wagon really well, actually. Yeah, agreed. Sarpanevas are cool, cool watches. Nice, very cool, very good. Well, some interesting picks. Interesting. Clearly, I was the winner, but that's okay. <laughs> we can. I'm sure that'll be well, debated. If we've all got five hundred fifty thousand dollars and three cars and three watches, I think we're all the winner. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Do we want to move on to? Uh, I guess if you have any honourable mentions of what maybe what got taken before you could pick it. Yeah, Anthony. Yeah, I don't mind going. I think with the watches, I'm pretty. I was pretty confident. And I'm glad that I went first because I didn't think I would be up against anyone for the Oxford Junior Day Night. Um, and I could probably change that to the perpetual calendar if I really needed to. However, I like the day night better. Um, so watches were pretty pretty standard. I, I don't have many honourable mentions, but for cars, uh, the for the the sports car, I did have a nine eleven nine nine six four C two. Um, the reason I chose that car is because later on in life, when I made lots of millions. I'd be able to send it to America and get a Singapore uh-huh. made out of it. Right. So nice. that was that was the sports car. I mean, there's a ton of 911s you could pick and be extremely happy with. Um, the only other real honourable mention I'll say for the family hauler was I found a uh, a Bentley Arnage R red label auto for sale, 62,000 k's from 2005. And it's a turbo 6.7 litre V8 for 95 grand. And I thought, oh, that, that would be a, a very, very cool car to stick the kids in, drop them off at school. And, uh, <laughs> Although I feel like you know, probably need to budget a 95 grand, another 95 grand on uh, maintenance. Correct. Correct. But, oh, geez, you know, the plush carpets, the leather, the wood grain steering wheel, the clock. The, just the whole lot of that car is just and actually I went to the dog park the other day and in the car park of the dog park there was one sitting there with a guy sitting in another store yeah that's that's pretty tough I mean these things are like 5.5 meters long or something like that um, yeah but imagine imagine cruising around Australia I mean you wouldn't because it wouldn't make it but you know you'd, you'd have a lot of fun on a long drive in that car be very cool. It's a yeah, it's a baller car. And I think the My, other four wheel drive. Sorry, one more. The four wheel drive would be a um, a mid two thousand and ten ish Prado. Um, I was fortunate enough to do the variety four by four adventure earlier this year up yeah, to the Red right. Centre. Yeah. And you know we did things like one day we did sixteen river crossings at about eight hundred to to a meter high and the capability of the Prados and the Land Cruisers, of course, but the Prados just unbelievable for what it can do, the value for money. I mean, even brand new, you can pick up one for sort of 70 grand and it will go anywhere. It's easy to maintain. There's parts readily available and any mechanic, even in small town, rural Australia, is going to be able to fix it for you if you've got an issue. 
So, yeah, Prados are very much up there for a, a four-wheel drive that can do anything. Well, I fully expected uh, Anthony to choose a 911 of some type in his first pick. So my mm. backups were nowhere near um, the money of the Targa Heritage, but um, included in there was an E-Type, Jaguar E-Type, um, for maybe 250K, uh, a Mercedes Pagoda, um, same sort of money, 200, 250. Uh, a Maserati uh, Merrick, um, two plus two in there, sort of 150K. So yeah, so a, a beautiful vintage classic car, you know, for, I don't think 100K does it anymore, but I think once you get up to sort of 150, 200K, you can pick up some pretty beautiful vintage cars still in Australia, um, which in general, when you look at vintage cars and vintage watches versus new cars and new watches, um, I think it's pretty hard to beat the styling um, and the quality uh, that existed back then versus today. So yeah, they're my only other mentions outside of what I've already talked about. What about you, Tom? So I have two honorable mentions, minor variations in the same car, because I've already talked about the uh, day and night being taken by Anthony. <laughs> One of my two ideas was... Um, Originally, I was going to pick a 997 GT3 or GT3 RS, depending on the value, because there's none of either of them for sale at the moment on car sales. Oh. So I'm not 100% sure which one of the two would have been able to squeeze into the budget. Well, or how you get them, where you get them from. Or how I get them. <laughs> My other variation of the list, I had as a family car, a 997 C4S. Mm, but it yeah. wasn't just... It wasn't just any C4S. Uh, in the mid to late um, noughties, my dad actually had a, a black C4S that he managed to get from a dealer, uh, heavily reduced as essentially an ex-demo, that someone had bought a 997 Turbo and were waiting on the Turbo to be delivered, but they wanted to drive the brand new 911 at the time. So they bought off the showroom floor of the C4S, which they drove for couple of hundred kilometers and then sold back to the dealership and then at the time my dad was looking at a c2 or c2s and he managed to actually get this c4s for the same price Um, and he ended up getting the c4s because it had a couple of options in it and it had the wide body because of the four-wheel drive on it yeah and he just fell in love with the body shape so i grew up in sitting in the back seat uh, of this 997 c4s it was black on black um grew up in the back of it, listening to the flat six sound. If I wasn't listening to that, we'll blaring the NSX album Kicks. Yes. So yeah, that's that's what I would have been buying. Not just any that. C4S, that particular car, because it's come up for sale a couple of times. I love it, and I and I love I love that childhood memory of yours, and I hope that that's what my my boy will have as well when he's a man. Is this memory of the times that we spent together in the car, which I think you have as well, right, Anthony? Yeah. hundred oh, percent. I've got so many memories. I mean, the first car that really set it off for me was dad bought a, it was probably around a 1996 or 97 Mazda MX-5. And, you know, being being an eight, nine-year, ten-year-old kid getting into a red convertible and going through the hills with the roof down, um, it was, you know, just exhilarating. I'll never forget those moments and if not for them i don't know that i would have been so into cars when i got older yeah yeah for sure that's awesome 
the the really interesting thing is at the time I used to actually hate the 997. I didn't like Porsches or that 997 at the time, but it's only now 10 years later that I've actually come around and my dad makes sure to remind me of that regularly. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Do you think it's because our taste changes as we get older or is it because the cars get older and, as I was saying before, because all cars these days look the same boring shape and grey colour, some of the older ones start to become quite attractive. And there's this whole concept also of um, beautiful, ugly. So there are cars that, it's funny actually, you were talking about uh, Mustangs earlier, uh, Anthony, and uh, of course there are these Mustangs that always look great, like a fastback or something. But there's a there's a move lately to these really boxy Mustangs, even boxy Volvos, things that were considered in their day to be quite ugly are now sort of beautiful ugly. You think that's what's going on with, with with cars that were not in fashion and now are quite popular? I'll go first. I, I think history always repeats itself, T Sam. I think what's happening is, and Vinny summed it up pretty well on one of our podcasts, and many people talk about it, is you start to lust for the cars that and, and watches that were around when you were growing up and it's it, it sort of evolving yourself and your own tastes and I mean I'm super into mid or early late 80s early 90s and mid 90s cars now those those square boxy cars like even you know one of my favorite favorite Ferraris is the um oh what's it called yeah the the 400A so 1979 did it in Ferrari 400 which had a a front mounted V12 five-speed auto yeah. five-speed manual sorry yeah. the um you know, beautiful five-spoke wheels, but the back end on this thing is like from another world. And yes, back then people didn't really like them, and even now they're they're not that sought after. But to me, yeah, they're just stunning. And yeah. it's that era of cars that just yeah, they're they're super super cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, what do you think, Tom? I like it. Yeah, I I would say it's. It's part of the reason why now a lot of older cars are ridiculously expensive. It's because it's it's the cars that, as you were, say, my age, you really wanted to buy but you could never afford. Yeah. Suddenly now you have the money to buy them and you, you really want them because of that emotional attraction so you'll pay whatever you want for them. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's that nostalgia as well that when you were a kid, uh, obviously, you know, the cars that were around me were like the E30s, BMWs, for example. Um, or the E28s, and while I didn't really consciously notice them then, I obviously subconsciously did, and that's now why I find them so attractive, I think, as well. Um, yeah. Anyway, ugly, beautiful ugly, I think it, they call it. I'm into it. Yeah. Do we want to move on to uh, the Dream Drive? Anthony's so, Dream Drive. Yes. So... <clears throat> As many people know, each fifth wrist uh, podcast has their own, or guest podcasts have their own kind of quiz. Uh, I know Anthony has his quick fire questions, which is recently kind of overhauling. Yeah. Because he had the same questions for a while. Uh, but ours is the dream drive. So, what are you driving? What are you uh, wearing while driving? This is mainly in regards to watches, but if you have a specific outfit, oh, yeah. Uh, you're welcome oh, no, to that Anthony too. Definitely, definitely is a clothes. Uh... Clothes, man. So I'm sure he's got yeah, some, do, some clothing. Do enjoy. Yeah. Where are you driving and what are you oh, listening to? It's 
so so hard to answer this question because I feel like there's there's just a million different variations but I think if I had to really knuckle it down to what would be my ultimate it would be driving a 1986 288 GTO Ferrari with the the 2.8 liter V6 twin turbo mid mounted and in red of course and I would be driving that through the countryside of where my family comes from in Italy because there's no one around. The cliffs drop 200 metres down if you make a wrong move. And I just think that sort of car, I mean, as, as for a watch, I would probably, I would have to say something like a Platinum Patek 96 from the 30s or something like that, something really really sort of a real connoisseur's watch that you'd have to pay a stupid amount of money. And if it wasn't that, it'd be something like a Cartier Tank Centre in platinum. And yeah, just cruising through the countryside in Italy in a 288 GTO would probably be about as good as it gets for me. Yeah. What would you be listening to? Listening to... It would probably be some sort of late 60s rock and roll, The Doors, something like that, I reckon would be pretty sweet. Nice. I love that. I love the the idea of, you know, the classic Italian car in Italy mm. pulling into some small country town in the, uh, like the quadrangle, just pulling up the car and walking over to the to the restaurant and sitting down and eating pasta while you stare at your beautiful yeah. car. I think yeah. as well why why I think of that place is because my cousin, when I was over there in 2010, my cousin had, he's got a, a 996 C4S manual and a black one and, and he took me for a drive through those hills and, and uh, to say I wasn't scared would be an understatement because I was. And, you know, we were, we were doing 200 kilometres an hour at some parts that you really shouldn't be doing that. But again, you've got the four-wheel drive that allows you to take corners at serious speeds than you would be doing in a rear engine, uh, in a rear-wheel drive, sorry. So I remember driving, well, I was passenger, but I can imagine what it would be like to drive something like either that car or a 288 GTO would be fabulous. Beautiful. I'm surprised for the uh, listening. It wasn't on days like these by uh, Matt Monroe. Well, that too could be anything. Yeah, good fun. I would have thought I would have gone with some crooner actually, um, someone crooning on the on the radio, or the typical car guy response, which is, "I'm listening to the note of the Ferrari." Surely, the yeah, Ferrari well. scream. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I'd be listening to too much music. I think you're wrong. That's true. Very cool. Oh, well, uh, do we want to move on to the Instagram recommendations? Yeah, let's do it. Want well, me to I'll, go first? I'll kick off. Oh, you no, go no, too, I'll kick off. Go for yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so one of the Porsche guys who has a couple of great cars, and one of them's a real sort of outlaw type of car, his name's Scott uh, Brenchley, but he's at Outlaw Garage 2013. So... Um, on Instagram, it's Outlaw Garage Two Zero One Three, but his uh, YouTube channel, which is the same, I think, um, is really great viewing. So he makes some really great content, um, local content, 
in Melbourne and Australia. So um, if you want to check out some great car stuff, uh, check him out on YouTube. But he's also on Insta. Cool. He's got plenty of followers. It's not like he Very needs nice. them, but but it's pretty cool. That's mine. What about you, Tom? Uh, I'm going to go with a uh, a two-sided recommendation from the point of view of it's a Instagram, but also um, the guy that owns the Instagram has a watch channel on YouTube, and that is the Timeless Watch Channel on Instagram and same name on uh, YouTube. I know for a lot of people they're a bit sick of uh, a lot of watch YouTubers, but I, I like uh, Oshin's uh, videos because a lot of his videos aren't just about watches, but he will take the watch because he's based in um, Venice. Ooh, Pre-COVID, he used that. to he used to pick a specific watch, and then would take it to a specific town in Europe, and then do a feature on both the watch and the town, and give a bit of history of both. Take beautiful watch shots, beautiful landscape shots, and meld the two together. That's a great recommendation. And I certainly, like uh, in his more recent videos, he takes them high quality in like 4K. So if you have a beautiful 4k tv and you can stream the youtube to it you get some very very beautiful watching nice nice very cool what about you anthony well because this podcast is new and i do want to i was going to do a watch one but i think i'm going to change um so someone who i really enjoy watching um mainly because his enthusiasm and passion for cars is just unbelievable and a lot of people will know this person he certainly has got three quarters of a million followers on instagram but magnus walker um fantastic youtube channel i think i watched recently he took a a uh, an m5 you know the old the uh, e92 i know the video the e30 it's the e39 m5 39 that's it yeah and, you know, takes it driving through the streets and really goes into the detail. And, and that car, there's something special about that car. It was a bit of a freak of its day. And uh, I had the pleasure of driving one when I used to work at BMW. And, yeah, it's, just, it's awesome. But he makes great content. It's really honest content. Like, there's no trickery. There's no, there's nothing to it other than a camera and and him talking about cars and you know, he's got a great Instagram profile. He's got a beautiful Porsche collection. I'm just um, going to butt in quickly. Um, yeah. So the guy that owns that white E39 M5 is a guy called Paul Zuckerman. Mm-hmm. He's a uh, personal injury lawyer in LA. Um, but he appears on this uh, another podcast, which is more of a car-based podcast called um, Spike's Car Radio. So he's a good friend with this guy called Spike Ferristein, who's the host of the podcast. Um, and he's a comedy writer, yeah. uh, famous for working on Seinfeld. Specifically, he was one of the guys that wrote the Soup Nazi episode. Oh, uh, yeah, right, yeah. Um, but also he's he was one of the main guys behind the B-movie, and he's good friends with Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. But my goodness, Spike, uh, sorry, Paul, the guy that owns that E39 M5, he's one of those like terrible people that you just love to listen to. Uh, and he, he is great on that podcast where they're about now a show every week. And if you go back and listen, he, he tells some really, really good like real insurance stories of things that have come to him as a personal injury claims lawyer that just some things you would not believe. Yeah, he sounds like a really interesting guy. He's popped up here and there. I think more from a watch perspective in the past, but uh, yeah, they they have some they have some nice watches, but I would say both Spike and Paul's taste in watches are a bit more mainstream. 
yeah. compared to the broader fifth risk community who tend to be a bit more indie. Yeah, cool. Some good recommendations, guys. Magnus is certainly, you know, if once you get into Porsches, he's you come across him pretty quickly, I think. And for me, the way that he drives his cars uh, is pretty pretty cool. Like he just can get out of LA pretty quickly onto some driving roads. I think he's got a circuit around where he lives as well, which is in the heart of LA. Um, but just some of that uh, footage of him driving the hills around LA, it just looks fantastic. I kind of, you know, wish that you could teleport your personal car to some of these places like Europe or LA and, and drive the way that they do. Looks great. Yeah. That's coming to the, toward the end, I think, Tom. It certainly is. What about what about the rant? Did we miss the rant? You know, I love a rant. Uh, it's not 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 too much really to rant about this week. Well, I might I might do I might do a little rant every week, um, and make it quite sort of personal. Um, what where do we land on people using their blinker when we're driving? I kind of like it. I kind of think that they're that they're there for a reason. That all cars have them, and that they should be used. And yet. Uh, the amount of people who don't use them, especially around a roundabout, uh, it really, I really find that frustrating. Or maybe that's because I'm originally from Sydney uh, and I like to see where people intending to go on a roundabout and where they're intending to exit a roundabout. What about you guys? You're, you're talking to someone who is the son of someone that he drives with regularly, um, as in my dad, and doesn't actually use the indicator. At all. Only in the most dire of circumstances does he yeah. ever use an indicator. Yeah. Which really well, bugs me. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. I, know. Sure. I, I write him on it too. Whenever he changes lanes, it's like, are you going to use an indicator here? Yeah. Have we lost Anthony? I can, maybe I can see him talking, but I can't hear him. That's not bad timing though, Tom. So maybe you should wrap it up just in case. Oh, well, in case we've uh, lost Anthony, I can do this work later on and chop and change this. Um, so Fifth Wrist is a website by the enthusiast for the enthusiasts. Um, you can follow Fifth Wrist on Instagram at Fifth Wrist, but also I'd highly recommend checking out the website fifthwrist.com, which is a website where people post reviews about their own watches. And unlike certain watch reviewers on the internet, they actually pay for the watches and have spent their hard-earned money on it. And have genuine critiques about the watches. Um, and you'll learn things that you might not necessarily have learned from people that review watches without movements. Um, you can follow me at Tiny Wrist Tom on Instagram, TSAN at TSANCO on Instagram, and Anthony at Defining underscore Time on Instagram. And if you want to join in on the Slack group, which I highly recommend to get updates on events and banter on things like the misaligned Ming dials and hands, uh, email at co contact at fifthwrist.com or you can also hit up the Instagram of any of the main show hosts and they'll sort out getting you an invite into the Slack. And remember, everyone, stay on time. Fifth Wrist is by the community for the community. We would love you to join the crew via our group chat on Slack. Email us at contact at fifthwrist.com and join the movement.